we're going to get back into uh, Exodus this week, chapter 18. When, um, when you witness something extraordinary, um, what, what, do you, what do you want to do? What, don't you want to, um, when, you, when you witness or experience something extraordinary, one of the things you want to do, isn't it, to share it with somebody? Right? So, um, I mean, the big, you catch the biggest fish you've ever caught, or, or you know, your, your first child is born, or um, whatever it is, these, these things that to you stand out as extraordinary, you want to share it with somebody. God's wired us that way, that we want to share about these awesome things that happen. Not least of which is what the Lord has done for us. And we're going to see that, how that unfolds here in Exodus chapter 18 this morning. I think of, uh, I don't know, it, for those of you who uh, were following Gonzaga this year, uh, kind of a, a bummer end last chapter there. But the chapter right before it was pretty awesome. Right? So it was a nail-biter game for those of you that didn't watch it. A nail-biter game back and forth the whole game. And then in the, just with three seconds left on the clock, Gonzaga gets the ball, jets down the court, and launches a, just inside of a half-court shot as the buzzer sounds. And it just went boom, boom, right in the bucket. And uh, it, I know Christopher and I were watching it real closely. We were paying attention, and we were just kind of like, wow, this thing's going to overtime, and then that, that shot just went boom, boom, and it just, it so caught us off guard that we just like, whoa, we just kind of exploded with excitement over what was going on there, and uh, um, in fact, a funny story, Earl was telling me that as he was in the hospital there, um, he, he said he hollered at that same moment, and their nurses rushed in, <laughs> like, oh, it's just, just watching the Gonzaga game, but... Um, but, you know, it was like in that moment, it was like you had this, uh, you know, we were like a warm can of uh, a Coke that had been sitting out in the sun, right? I mean, just poof, and uh, because of the tension that was building up to that moment, and then this, this shot that goes in, and, and we want to share that with somebody. It's exciting to talk about that. We want to share it with somebody, and, you know, we have something far greater than that that God has given to us to share with others. Something far greater than a last second shot. Uh, although in, in many ways, uh, it, it is like that, only much greater than that. That in our moment of desperation, that God did something to save us. When there was no hope, Christ came and gave us hope. Well, as we're going through Exodus, and seeing God's, um, God's miraculous intervention in the life of, of Israel and Moses, um, we look at Exodus and we see, and I, you've heard me refer to it, it's, it's the Old Testament gospel. The message of salvation flows throughout Exodus. Salvation that comes not by man's hand, but by God's. That man in his worst condition has a powerfully present God who intervenes. A word of all that God had done for the Israelites had been traveling throughout the known world, at least of Exodus, 
about all that the God of the Israelites had done for them. And that's kind of where we enter into um, Exodus chapter 18. Um, because it's not been lost on the... Not only have, um, has God intervened powerfully for His people to save them from many things along the way, but one of the major ones on the list that would have been traveling um, by word of mouth here is that the God of the Israelites defeated Pharaoh and his powerful armies. And, and not only that, but the God of the Israelites beat the gods of the, of the Pharaoh, of the Egyptians. In fact, that's one of the themes in Exodus through, in those plagues is as God brings judgment against the Egyptians, even more than bringing judgment against the Egyptians, he's bringing judgment against the gods, little g, of Egypt. And so uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is who we encounter here in verse 18 because he's gotten word of all this stuff too. Um, Chapter 18, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, here referred to as the priest of Midian, um, he's been introduced to us before in Exodus. Um, Jethro seems to have a pretty prominent place in uh, whatever, whatever religious system here the Midianites have. There's some speculation that maybe it was something kind of similar to Judaism. There's also speculation that maybe it was actually much more uh, pagan-like in the worship of false gods. Whatever, whatever the situation was there, um, Jethro had some authority in there as a pre, a the, the priest, kind of the, one of the main guys there. Um, and Jethro also, whatever he believed about Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, whatever he believed, um, we see that he has his doubts about the Lord's power and authority over evil, the Lord's power and authority over rulers, the Lord's power and authority to, to save, the Lord's power and authority when it comes to dealing with other little gods, right? the gods of the Egyptians. We're going to see how that plays out um, throughout this passage today. Let's look at verse 2. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home with, along with her two sons. The, the names of the one was Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land in the name of the other, Eleazar. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now we're not really sure why Moses sent Zipporah and his sons with Je- to be with Jethro. It could have been a safety issue from Moses' perspective. Uh, who knows? It would be just speculation at this point to try and figure that out. Regardless, uh, Zipporah and and their sons went to be with uh, Jethro, Zipporah's father. And uh, here, um, Jethro is bringing them to be reunited with Moses. Now, one of the things that we are going to see about Moses in this passage is that Moses bears witness to the things God has done to Jethro, his father-in-law. And it's really what Exodus is all about is pointing to the God who saves. 
It's not about how great Moses is. In fact, when you put yourself in Moses' shoes here, being guided along by the Holy Spirit to record Exodus for us, and you go back and reread it all, you go, wow, I don't look so good. Right? It, in, in Exodus, the best thing about Moses is that he surrenders to the Lord and says, okay, <laughs> this is your plan, this is, this is your deal. That's the best thing about Moses in Exodus. And so uh, here we have Moses bearing witness to, to the powerfully present God who saves. But Moses also bears witness in the naming of his children. So think about just the names that he gave his boys, the first one being Gershom, uh, in other words, uh, Sojourner. Now Moses fled Egypt because he had killed a man, in, an Egyptian, and he was fleeing Egypt so that he wouldn't be brought to justice by Pharaoh. And he, when he fled Egypt, he ended up in Midian, land of Midianites there, and he's a stranger in a strange land. He felt alone in a, in a strange place. Um, and Moses felt the weight of that, being sort of cast out from what was the familiar home-like place to him in Egypt. And, um, but even in that, even in being a stranger in a strange land, Moses points to the powerfully present God who intervenes for him in the naming of his second child, of Eleazar, my God is help. The naming of his children as Jethro and uh, Zipporah would have called to the boys multiple times as they're growing up here would have been a constant reminder that the Lord saves, the Lord helps, the Lord is powerfully present to his people. So Moses uh, is even bearing witness, even in his absence, Moses is bearing witness to the naming of his children in Jethro's household. Here we have verse, uh, verse 5. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So um, Jethro sends word ahead that, hey, I'm coming to, to see you. And then verse 7. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. So um, Moses, we see something in Moses' greeting to his father-in-law that I, that I think is very noteworthy that tells us something about Moses' character in the way that he greets his father-in-law. And... Um, I know, I know my father-in-law is sitting back there, and I was sitting back there, and uh, he's, he's jetted out already, but he usually runs sound first service. I'm sure he was thinking, wow, this is just like my son-in-laws greet me. They bow down, and they give me a big old kiss. Right? <laughs> no, actually, if, you're, if you have a father-in-law or you are um, aspiring to have a father-in-law at some point, um, this might not be exactly how you would, uh, the best way to go about honoring your father-in-law, giving him a big kiss. But I don't know, you figure it out for yourself there. But, um, but in this case, what we do see with, um, with Moses and the way that he interacts with Jethro, his father-in-law, is that uh, he honors his father-in-law 
for his patriarchal influence in the family. His God-given place within the family, Moses honors that. Uh, Here's how this kind of plays out. So Moses is, um, by this point of Exodus, Moses is a really important person. At least among the Israelites, Moses is a very important person. So you want to see Moses, you go see Moses. Moses doesn't come to see you, right? And that's how it would have been in, 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 with people with positions of power even today. Um, you want to see somebody who's important, right? You go see them. They don't come to see you. That's kind of how the world works. Well, that's the way it was in Moses' day too. But here we see Moses leave his tent to go greet his father-in-law. And when he greets his father-in-law, he bows down to him, not in worship, but in honor, to honor him and his place in Moses' life, and also um, in a a submissive place before his father-in-law. Even though Moses here is the leader of, of the victorious Israelites, the one that everyone's talking about, how the God is... How, how the God of the Israelites has done all these great things for them and Moses is the leader of them, here he comes and acknowledges that Jethro has a place of prominence in his life, of importance in his life as his father-in-law and as his, as his elder. And I, this is very noteworthy, so for those of you who, um, who are in a place where you still have you still have parents or uh, in-laws or grandparents, um, people older than you. Take note of Moses' character here. Because as Moses honors his father-in-law, he's also honoring the Lord who gave this man to him in his life in this position. All right, let's keep going here. Verse 8, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So Moses begins to bear witness to all that the Lord has done for him and for the Israelites to save them. Now, note what it is that he shares. He shares about what the Lord has done to Pharaoh and what he did to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. But he also says, uh, it also says that he shares all the hardship that had come upon them and how the Lord had delivered them. So Moses doesn't just share like all the things that sort of make him look good, right? Boost his resume in his father-in-law's eyes. Only tell him the good stuff. Like don't tell him the stuff that makes you or your people look bad. Just like, you know, just the good stuff here. But that's not what he does here. Because Moses is bearing witness to what God has done. Because the best thing about Moses is that he surrenders to a God who's capable and powerfully present. And so Moses shares all the negative things as well. Their struggles, their failures, so that Jethro can get a clearer picture of the powerfully present God who saves That's our story too. Right? When we tell our story about how God has been powerfully present in our life, it doesn't, 
It doesn't come out looking like, hey, we're the hero of the story. Because we're not the hero of the story. It's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the Lord of all who comes from heaven to earth to, from heaven to earth to save us, who is powerfully present with us, even though we have not deserved that. And so Moses' account includes everything. The highs, the lows, the victories, the failures. In order that God's glory and power would be more clearly seen. Romans chapter, uh, well actually before I go to, to Romans, I want to read something to you here as, we, as Moses shares with um, Jethro about all that God has done. I, in in a, the commentary, Exodus, Saved for God's Glory, the um, author there, Philip Reichen, he, he summarizes it this way and I thought he, just, he did a good job of summarizing what Moses shared with with Jethro to the point where I just thought, why reinvent the wheel? Um, So I'm going to read this to you, what he wrote, summarizing what Moses shared with Jethro. Moses' speech was not recorded. However, it is not hard to figure out what he said. He preached to Jethro the same message that he later set down in Scripture. First, he reminded his father-in-law of the centuries of bondage that Israel had suffered in Egypt. He recounted what it was like to go back to Pharaoh and order him to let God's people go. He explained how at first this only made things worse because Pharaoh forced them to find their own straw to make bricks. Then Moses told how God delivered his people with mighty acts of judgment. He described the signs and wonders that God performed, rivers of blood, swarms of insects and amphibians, plagues of illness and disease, storms of hail and darkness, Moses reported how God struck down the firstborn of Egypt. He also spoke of redemption. He told his father-in-law about the Passover, how the sons of Israel were saved by the blood of a lamb. He described how God brought his people through the deep waters of the sea. Maybe he even sang Jethro the song of salvation. Next, Moses told Jethro about the wilderness. The Bible is specific about this. Verse 1 mentions how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. But verse 8 adds that Moses also spoke about all the hardship that had come upon them in the way. God not only led Israel out of Egypt, but He also led His people through the wilderness. This too was part of the message of salvation. Moses reported how God had sent His people bread from heaven and water from the rock. He gave an account of the, of the battle of Rephidim where hands were lifted up to God's throne and God defeated the Amalekites. The most important thing about this proclamation is how thoroughly God-centered it was. After all, nothing Moses could have said about the Israelites would have been very flattering about either the prophet himself or his people. What had they contributed to their salvation? Nothing at all. And so in Moses' account to Jethro, he bears it all in order that the glory of God would be more clearly seen. And this is important. Moses, one of Moses' clear motivations here 
is that he wants Jethro to come to know the powerfully present God who saves as Moses has come to know the powerfully present God who saves. Romans chapter 10, verse 10, if you want to turn there with me. Romans 10, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is how we, we came to believe in Jesus Christ. From hearing. From hearing someone else testify, bear witness to the work of Christ on the cross and the powerfully present God who saves. This is also how Jethro is coming to know the Lord. Through Moses' testimony. Moses bears witness to what God has done. And as Jethro hears it, we're going to see Jethro have a response to that. But let us always remember that bearing witness to God means He gets all the accolades and highlights. When we show the highlight reel of all that God has done, um, we might be in the background somewhere, you know, kind of out of focus, but He is always in focus. It's always centered on Him. In fact, the Apostle Paul as it relates to sharing the gospel here and, and just operating in life, in Galatians chapter 6, he says this. Um, Galatians 6.14 But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in all the things that Paul had that he could have sort of made a big deal about, the thing he said that he was only going to make a big deal about was Jesus Christ. In fact, um, he, he even will, will say things like, uh, you know, the thing he has to boast about is his weakness because it points to Jesus. Well, let's look at how Jethro responds to all that Moses is sharing. Let's look at verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So after Moses shares all the things that God has done for them, we see a characteristic of saving faith in Jethro. We're going to kind of see several things here in Jethro's response that that. Um, are characteristics of what a saving faith really is. This is one of them. 
Jethro responds with joy. He has a response of joy to what he has heard about the Lord. The Lord's greatness, his mighty works, what he has done for not only the Israelites, but also Moses and his, and his daughter Zipporah and grandchildren. And there's a response of joy within Jethro. You know, that's something that, that when we, when we uh, experience something so extraordinary as salvation, um, multiple other things in life that we also experience it to a lesser degree, that, that there's just joy inside of us and thankfulness. Let's look at something else that goes along with this. In verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And this is the second characteristic of a saving faith, and it is a verbal expression of that joy. So as Jethro comes to understand who the Lord is, there's joy swelling up in him and thankfulness to this Lord whom he's now coming to understand and know. He gives verbal expression to that joy. He lets it out. Remember when Jesus rode into um, what we call the triumphal entry and he rides into Jerusalem and the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the religious leaders say, hey, why don't you make your disciples be quiet? This is inappropriate behavior. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, if they're quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. Well, this is, this, this, is the, this is us. When we begin to understand who God really is and what He's done for us, there's a joy that swells up within us, and, and we can't help but give some kind of verbal expression to that. Now, it's going to look different for each one of us. Some of us are very talkative, and some of us are not so talkative. But we give verbal expression to the things that we really have joy and thankfulness about. So we have that second characteristic of a saving faith. In fact, if you want to look, we, look at me, there's a passage that I love in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, that illustrates this. Mark 7, verse 31. Then he, Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. So there's a group of people here. They bring... Um, this man who is uh, deaf and has trouble speaking clearly, um, they bring him to Jesus and they beg Jesus to heal him. And taking, af- uh, taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. When the man, formerly known as the deaf man, and whoever is with him that brought him to Jesus, 
experience the intervention of the powerful uh, work of Christ in their life, they can't keep quiet about it. Jesus even says, hey, let's keep this on the DL. And they can't help but just break out telling people about it anyways. This is what it looks like to have your life touched by God's powerful presence. There's a joy, and that joy manifests itself through some verbal expression. Let's keep going here. Other characteristics of saving faith that we see from Jethro. Verse 11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Jethro makes a confession of faith. With his mouth, he confesses that this is the Lord, the one true God. Lord of all. Romans chapter 10, verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is another important part of a um, saving faith in God. And that is not only expression of joy, but giving a verbal confession that this is the God who is God of all and God of me. This is not just the Lord of all, but He's also Lord of me. When we have a baptism, this is is part of baptism, is professing Jesus is my Lord, Lord over my life. Um, And... This is why when we share testimony like Moses is here to Jethro, that it points to him to not just point to all the good things he's done, but then to also declare, and he is Lord of me. Jethro here, there's kind of an awkward uh, translation for us in the last half of verse 11. It says, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people, what, is, what we are meant to understand by this is that God allowed the arrogance of Egypt to swell, the arrogance of Egypt against the Israelites, against, against the Lord, to swell um, in order that God could more greatly show His power over them and also to uh, more greatly humiliate the gods of Egypt. So he, he allowed the Egyptians to really operate in some pretty deep arrogance there about what they were capable of, about what they were going to do, about what their gods were capable of, in order that God would utterly humiliate not just the Egyptians, but more importantly, as the Scriptures tell us through the judgment, more importantly, utterly humiliate and expose the impotence of the Egyptian gods. That they're nothing compared to Him. That He is Lord of all. And Jethro confesses that this is the Lord, the Lord of all. And says it there when he says He is, uh, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. So He's greater than all the other gods. This is the one true sovereign God. Look at verse 12. There's two things, two more characteristics of saving faith that we see in verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. 
first one here that we're going to look at is that, so we've seen Jethro, as he listens to Moses' testimony of all that God has done, joy swells within him. Then he gives verbal expression to this joy. Then he confesses faith in this Lord of all. Now he worships. He worships him who is worthy. That's what the what it's talking about here when Jethro is arranging to have a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, this is about worshiping him for who he is. In fact, we see this um, pattern throughout the Old Testament, um, well, throughout all, all of Scripture, but especially through the Old Testament, when God does something to powerfully display his presence and authority to save his people, they respond with a building of an altar, Um, a sacrifice, a singing of a song, something to worship Him. We see this in Exodus chapter 15. After God saves His people from the Egyptians, verse 1 and 2 there, Moses and the people sing, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Jethro joins Moses in worshiping the Lord for who he is. But there's another component to verse 12 that I think is also important to a saving faith, and that is the joining with others to worship this Lord who saves. That's we see that Aaron and the elders of Israel and Moses and Moses and Jethro all join together. It says in a, um, they eat bread before God, which is, a, is another way of saying they worshiped together this God who saves. Psalm um, 111, verse 1, psalmist says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Psalmist many times throughout the Psalms will refer to worshiping together, praising God together, glorifying Him with the rest of the people of God. Coming together. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 in the New Testament, 24 and 25, leaves us this strong encouragement and command. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to, uh, um, there there are ways in in sort of our, just our daily earthly lives that we do something similar to what we're seeing here on a larger level. That is, think about, um, uh, I well, an example of, let's say, a, a teacher in a school. This teacher, is, they're, they're, getting, they're coming up to retirement, and they've, they've been a teacher that has just been characterized by going above and beyond any expectation of what a teacher should do and leave such an impact on the lives of their students that um, the students want to thank this teacher. And, uh, students from you know, all the years uh, this teacher has taught, and now there's... There's one sense in which like, you, you could go to this teacher and say thank you privately, right? But because this teacher has affected so many people, they, like, they want to do something together, right? To uh, throw a party or whatever. I mean, this is kind of 
kind of what we do when we recognize that somebody has so far exceeded uh, in some level, we want to join together to give a greater expression of thankfulness. This is the way it is with the family of God as well. God has done such extraordinary things to save us from what we really deserve that we not only go to Him privately and say thank you and worship Him, but we recognize that He deserves something greater than that. So we start joining our voices together, our hearts together, in order to lift up praise together. Because He's worthy of it. There's no one more worthy than Him. And Hebrews says that this is a habit that we need to make and keep. The joining together to worship Him. Now it's important for us to evaluate ourselves as we've gone through um, saving char- characteristics of a saving faith. It's important for us to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, uh, examine ourselves and, and ask ourselves, do, do I have the characteristics of a saving faith? Like, do I, do I say I believe in Jesus, but I have none of the joy, none of the desire to, to share what He's done in my life? Maybe I haven't really come to understand what He's done for me. Maybe I haven't really come to a place where I'm worshiping Him for who He really is and what He's really done. Apostle Paul to the Corinthians says this in 2 Corinthians 13, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Paul encouraged the Corinthians to to examine themselves to see if they were in the faith. And this is an important thing for all of us to do. To examine ourselves. Do we have the characteristics of a saving faith? That response of, of joy to Christ. A verbal expression to that joy in Christ. A confession of Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Do we shy away from proclaiming Him as Lord of our life? Maybe it's because He's not. Jesus says to, uh, to His followers in the Gospels that if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. Do we really know Him? Have we really submitted to Him? Have we really confessed Him as Lord and Savior? The fourth thing is, do we worship Him as the worthy Lamb of God who removes our sin? And do we join together with others who, to worship Him as the worthy Lamb of God who saves? We ought to examine ourselves, one, to see if we're in the faith, and then two, to see if we keep walking in the faith. If we have judged that we are in the faith, then I would ask you this question. Well, first, before, if you've judged, if you've examined yourself and judged that you're not in the faith, that you don't have the characteristics of a saving faith, I would encourage you to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, to acquaint yourself with Jesus Christ and what He's done. What He's done for you. And really how utterly undeserving we are that He would lay His life down for us at the cross and take on the punishment of God against our sin. When we begin to understand and grasp how utterly hopeless and depraved we are before a holy and righteous God, 
we begin to truly appreciate the power of the cross and Jesus Christ who would lay his life down for us. It is hard not to respond with joy and confession of faith when we grasp that. But if you have judged that upon examining yourself that you are in the faith, then I would ask you this question. Have you, like Moses, fulfilled your calling in bearing witness now to the work of Christ in your life? As Moses bore witness to Jethro about all the things that this powerfully present God who saves has done for them, Jethro comes to believe in him. We've been given the responsibility of proclaiming Christ to those around us, bearing witness to the work of Christ in our own life. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Uh, the Apostle Paul says it in a different way in, uh, in 2 Corinthians. He says that we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making His appeal through us as we bear witness to the work of Christ in our life. God is making His appeal to those who are lost, to those who are awaiting the coming judgment of God in order that they might escape it through Christ. So are you in, your, in the faith? Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And then examine yourself again to see if you are bearing witness as Christ has called you to. To the salvation that He's given you through Christ. To the hope He's given you of eternal life. It's a pretty awesome, awesome thing we have to tell. I mean, we wouldn't be shy if if you're a Gonzaga fan, you wouldn't be shy about telling people and talking about if they won the national championship, right? You wouldn't shy away from that. That's pretty awesome. Which they didn't, by the way, if you didn't read the paper. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but God has done something far greater than a national championship. If we would be willing to talk about Gonzaga's win, boy, we sure ought to be willing to talk about God's win at the cross. For he's done something far greater than, than uh, any man could do. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you as the worthy Lamb of God who gave his life for us. We thank you because you're powerfully present with us to save us, to teach us, to lead us, to help us in our time of need. Lord, the best part about our story is not ourself, but you. that you have taken a sinner like me, Lord, who deserved your wrath, who deserved hell, who deserved the cross, and you sent your Son to take that place for me so that I could know you, not just as a righteous judge, but also as my Heavenly Father who loves me. And you've made that available to everyone who would call on you by faith. That all who call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Lord, I ask that you would help each one of us to examine ourselves before you to see, Lord,
Do we truly believe in you? Have we truly surrendered our life to you? Have we grasped um, the work of the cross in our life and its importance and significance and life-changing power? And are we worshiping you in response to that? And then, Lord, for those of us who believe that we would also examine ourselves to see, Lord, are we, are we being faithful to tell others just like someone told us in order that they can be saved just like we were saved through the testimony of others? And Lord, we pray this all in your name that you would receive all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, as we, as we go our separate ways here today um, and into our work weeks and whatever our weeks hold, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would bear witness to the cross, that we would bear witness to your saving work in our lives for the thousands and millions of ways, Lord, that you have, have done good for us. Lord, let us give... Um, a verbal expression to that that others may hear and like Jethro, see you for who you are and worship you as Lord of all. Lord, fill us with all boldness to be your ambassadors in a world that desperately needs to hear you, to hear your voice and to hear the gospel message. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to make sure you guys all know that you're invited downstairs to uh, potluck. So um, see you downstairs.